All right. So as I said, we're in part two of uh, Money Talks. The whole idea for, for this series is if your money was for you, if say, say your money was on your side and wanted the best for you, what kind of financial advice would your money give you? And, and as we, we hit this a little last week, the interesting thing uh, about <clears throat> this whole uh, idea is that we kind of know what money would say, don't we? We know what, what the advice that money would give us because we kind of know where our money's going and we know it's going in directions maybe that it shouldn't be going maybe in directions we want it to go. The interesting thing about this idea of money, especially when it relates to, to Jesus, is that we're not, we're not really surprised. We're not shocked at what money would have to say to us. The interesting thing, the parallel, though, is that we are going to be a little surprised at what Jesus had to say about money when he was alive. That They kind of go hand in hand in, in tandem. I said this last week in our message, um, that <clears throat> Jesus actually said more about money than he did about heaven. You may have never realized that before, but Jesus said more about money and earthly possessions than he ever did about heaven. And I think perhaps the reason that he said more about money than he did about heaven is because as far as we're concerned, if there is no money, that's actually way worse for us than if he said there is no heaven. And no one laughs when I say that because it's kind of true. We would be deeply concerned if there were no money, maybe even more concerned than the idea that there is no heaven. And I think that the reason Jesus kind of talked about this and said more about money than he did about heaven is because money has, has this false promise that so many people kind of buy into. And the false promise is simply this, that just a little bit more and I'll finally deliver. Just a little bit more money and I'll finally be able to, you know, to live on a budget. Just a little bit more and, I'll, and, and I won't have to work as hard and I can be home with my kids and hit their games and, and be a good parent. Just a little bit more and, and I'll finally be able to give some away. Just a little bit more. And then just a little bit more turns into just a little bit more to just a little bit more. It's a promise that never, ever really delivers. And that's the challenge that, that, that so many of us feel when it comes to this idea. It's the tension that we kind of live in with this idea of our money and our possessions and really how we would choose or how we would want to live our life. Last week, I, I hit on the first thing that money would say to you. And I think the first thing money would say is simply this. It's that I can add meaning to your life, but that I am not the meaning of your life. I can add meaning to it, but I'm not the meaning of it. And, and for some people, we, we live with it kind of flipped around. We live with, with this, this incredible pursuit, and it creates the, the, this tension in us, this struggle in us. But, but the, if we decided to kind of shift our focus a little bit, we would realize money can be used to make lives, and not just our lives, but other people's lives, so much better. But it is never the meaning of life. And then I, I pose this question to you, that, that, if, that if you could kind of shift your focus, your money would shift its focus too, and that if we could use our money as a means to an end, that's not our means, or, or rather that's not us at the end of it, th then this question is the question that we often answer, uh, wrestle with, and that's this. To what ends do you want your life to be a means? That's not you. To what ends do you want your life to be a means? Because we, we can all live, with our, uh, live our life rather as if we're a means to an end. Did you know what we have to show for that? ourselves. That's it. And so many people get to the end of their life and all they have are themselves. And they pursued wealth and they pursued more and they pursued stuff and they realize at the end, this isn't what I really wanted at all. So if you're going to live your life as if there's a means to an end and live your life as if money isn't the means to an end, then what is the means to an end? Here's another thing I think money would say as we kind of walk through this tension, and here's where we're going this week, and this is going to be uncomfortable for a lot of you. Where we're going with this week's message, some of you have heard this talk before, uh, and, and you're going to say, oh, I, I already heard that, you're this again, and, and yes, it's this again, because some of you haven't got it the first time, so I'm going to hit it again. 
For others of you, you've never heard this before, and this is going to be something that you're going to wrestle with. But I think regardless of where you find yourself, having heard this before or not, being a church person or not a church person, I think this is a universally applicable principle. That, that regardless of who you are, whether you follow Jesus or not, that if you're willing to take his words and if you're willing to apply this, this would completely shift your focus and your direction on how you use your money, your wealth, your possessions. Here's what I think money would say to us this week, is that your self-control determines which one of us gets control. Your self-control determines which one of us gets control. We don't want to think about that, do we? Because our idea is, but it, it, we would kind of say this when it comes to money. Like, it's not about self-control. If I just had more, right? That's what we say. If only I had more money. But money would say in response, if only you had more self-control. If only you practice self-control a little bit more. Because it's not about the amount. It's about what you're doing with the amount that you've been given. Money would say this, and, and this is true, and this is what so many of us have come to find out at some point in our lives, is that I'm a much better servant than I am a master. I'm a much better servant. Money says, I'll go wherever you send me. I, if, if you tell me to go, I, I will go. If, if you go this way, I'm going to follow. I'm a much better servant than I am a master. See, because it's not about the amount. It's about what we do with the amount. And, and here's how I know it's not about the amount. Because if you were to sit down with over half the world's population and you were to talk to them about, about the pressures you feel financially and the income you have, over half the world's population would look at you like you are absolutely crazy. Because to the rest of the world, they, they've never seen the amount of money that you make in a year. And we think, but there's all this pressure and I've got to buy and I've got an upgrade and I've got to, I've got to fix and I've got to do. And they would look at you and say, if I, if I had your money, all of my dreams would come true. It's really not about the amount. It's about what we do with the amount. So as we kind of walk this tension of, you know, the, the things we want and, and, and living to, you know, to, to better our lives and buy a better vehicle and get the things and, and this tension of, I also want to practice some self-control. As we kind of walk this tension, there's some wisdom that's been given that can help us kind of figure it out, figure out how to go, figure out how to live, figure out how to practice this. I'm just going to kind of go back to the professional. The Apostle Paul said some amazing things. If you've been here at all, you've heard of the Apostle Paul. He shows up on the pages of history <clears throat> as a man who hates Christianity. He hates Christians, and then he becomes one. And then he begins to travel around the Mediterranean Rim, planting churches and writing uh, letters to, to, the, uh, to the Gentiles, to the, non, the, or the, the non-Jewish Christians. And he begins to teach them about what it would mean to live and to follow Jesus. And in one of these letters, he's writing to them, he kind of explains this tension that they're feeling uh, of being controlled by something that they don't want to be controlled by and practicing self-control, of being led down the path of, of I kind of want more and I want more and I want to upgrade, but, but there's also this idea of I don't want to be controlled by that. He would say it this way. He would say, here's what I want you to do. You want to figure this out? He says, so I, I would say, walk by the Spirit. Like, what does it mean, walk by the Spirit? That sounds kind of weird. It sounds kind of spooky. He said, here's what it means. When you give your life to Christ, when you become a Jesus follower, when you invite him in, when you say, Jesus, I, I'm willing to follow you, he begins to put his spirit inside of you, and he be, that spirit begins to nudge you. And it begins to nudge you to do things that maybe you would have never done before. It begins to nudge you to be concerned about things you would have never been concerned about before. It begins to nudge you away from doing things that you used to do, that you don't want to do anymore. He's saying that's the spirit of God that's inside you. And he sent that spirit there to begin to nudge you, to begin to change you. I say this in our prayer every week, to become more like Jesus. 
So I want you to listen to that spirit. I want you to hear the nudgings. I want you to follow the spirit. What's the spirit going to take me to, Paul? He said, here's what the spirit will lead you to. He said, the spirit's going to lead you. The nudgings are going to lead you to the fruit of the spirit. That, that, that's that's the, the, the produce. That, that's what following the spirit ultimately leads to. Well, what, what are the fruits of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit really are just things that you want more of. They're things that you want your sister-in-law to have more of and your brother-in-law to have more of. It's things that you want everyone else to have more of with you. It's, it's what you want your kids to have and your, your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. That's what we all want to have more of and perhaps it's what God wants more of for you. He said following the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, living by the Spirit will lead you to what? To love, to joy and peace. I want more of that. That sounds great to patience and kindness and goodness. Everybody needs more of that, to faithfulness and gentleness. And then here's our compound word, to self-control. That following the Spirit and following the nudgings of the Spirit, it leads you to self-control. It leads you to being able to overcome that tension you feel of, of being controlled by your money, of being overwhelmed, by this pursuit of more and better, as if somehow these things are going to make your life happier and better and give it more meaning. He said that there's something you can do, and that's to follow the Spirit into self-control. And of course, God would invite you into self-control because God loves you. See, this isn't about, about Jesus wanting something from you. It's about Jesus wanting you. Right? Your heavenly Father loves you, and he's invited you to call him a heavenly father, to, to, to relate to him as a father. And he wants the best for you because he knows what we know. He knows what we've kind of figured out and what we see in life all the time. That you're really not just giving into money, but, but, but you're giving into this, to this appetite for more, for better, for new. And nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. No one. I, I know you don't. We've all read stories. Maybe we've even had family members. Maybe we've had friends that have been controlled, that have been mastered by an appetite. They thought it was going to be just a pastime, just a fun experience, and then it became a pathway, and that pathway led to destruction, maybe to an early death, maybe to, to spiraling out of control, maybe to losing their family, maybe to losing all of their income and all of their possessions and going bankrupt. We know what it's like when people are mastered by an appetite, and we don't want that. And of course, your Heavenly Father doesn't want that for you either. See, He has a better way. And Jesus is going to introduce that better way. At the end of our message last week, we talked about this incredible parable where Jesus is talking. At the, at the tail end of the parable, he brings it around, and, and he's talking about, um, basically about money and, and about control. And he says, he says at the end of this parable something that I guess, I'm guessing you've already heard if you've been in church. If you haven't been in church before, you probably have still heard this statement because it's so, it's so popular in church circles. <clears throat> but, but what he says here is so brilliant. And it's so masterful. It's the kind of thing that when you read and you begin to unpack, you begin, you begin to view like, like maybe everything that's in the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Don, maybe it is real because nobody could make this stuff up. And the truth is, if they could make it up, you wouldn't want to make it up because it seems so outlandish. He, he's speaking to Christians. And if you're not a Christian this morning, at the end of today's message, you might be really happy you're not a Christian. You're going to look at all your Christian friends and say, sucks to be you. Because he's speaking to Christians and he says something that, that's just so kind of catches everyone off guard and seems like otherworldly and just outside of the norm. He, he starts off by, by saying this. He says, we're talking about masters. He said, by the way, 
No one can serve two masters. And this word master in the Greek, it's kurios. And how it's actually translated in the rest of the New Testament is Lord. No one can serve two lords. No one can serve two masters. And I'm guessing you're sitting here and serve two masters. I don't have one master. To which your heavenly father would say, we'll see. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you've never heard that statement before, if you've never read this before, if this is your first time being introduced to this idea at all, and I introduced this verse, but I took money off and left to fill in the blank. And I said, fill it in. My guess is nobody here would have said money, would you? We would have shouted things out like, well, you can't serve God. And when I, I know when I was a kid, I always thought to myself, it's not money, it's the devil, right? You can't serve God and the devil. You can't serve God and perhaps yourself. You can't serve God and, and fill in the blank. But no one would have said money. Jesus, he sees through all of that. He says, guys, let's just get real. Let, let's, let's break it down. It's really not the devil. It's not you. It's your stuff. It's your pursuit of wealth, your pursuit of more. This idea that if I just get a little bit more of this thing, that somehow it'll make my life fulfilled and give my life meaning and I'll be happy forever. He said, you can't serve that and serve God. You can't have two masters. It's going to be one or the other. You see, it's as if Jesus viewed your money, your possessions, my money and my possessions as the chief competitor for your heart. And ultimately, that's what he's concerned about. <clears throat> What's interesting here is Jesus doesn't say this and then say, now, if you don't give me your money, you're just, you know, you're, you're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. He's not a killjoy. He's trying to ruin your life and ask you for your money. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. But he knows the chief competitor for you is your money and your stuff. And he said, as long as that's in control, as long as that's in the driver's seat, I'll never get you. And that's why I've come. It's like Jesus, if he were here today and he was preaching the message, I think he would ask you and me this question. I think he asked it first with me. Hey, Jim, hey, Journey, do you have your money? Or does money have you? Because as long as money has you, I don't. And I would guess, I'm just going to guess for us, that we would all have an answer, and our answer would go something like this. <clears throat> My money doesn't have me. My money doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it to have me. I'd like to have a little more. I'd like to be able to say there's some competition there. I'd like to be able to say there's some tension there. I, I, you keep talking as if money is like, like this, this grand test and, and that there's this tension and this stress and this pressure that goes along with it. If money's a test, where do I sign up? Is, is that in the back? Do I go to the iPad station for that? Because I'll sign up for that. If there's all this stress, I feel like I might be able to handle it. Maybe just let me have a little bit more so I can say there's some competition. But really, I mean, who's Jesus talking to? Who's he talking to? Is he just talking to the rich people when he says this? Or is he talking to, you know, to people that, that show up home from work in the afternoon and there's three Amazon Prime boxes on our back porch or our front steps and we pick it up and it's addressed to us and we look at it and, and we know we ordered it but we forgot what it is? We shake it a little bit, and we're like, who's it, who's it from? Well, it's from me. What is it? I don't know. Is, 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 could, it be, could it be speaking to people that like go to the mall? What are you shopping for? I don't know yet. I'll know when I, I'll know when I see it. And then you see it. It's like, see, that, that's what I, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't even know I needed that. But now that I've seen it, I need it, and I'm going to find a way to buy it. Could he be talking to all of us? 
regardless of where we fall on the scale of how much money we make or have or don't have? You see, what's amazing about what he says and the thing that makes Jesus so masterful is that what he said 2,000 years ago is universally applicable even today to people in the 21st century. Because Jesus knows that everyone, regardless of how much you make, regardless of how much you don't make, that everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit. And when money becomes your ultimate pursuit, it makes it your ultimate. And he said, that, that's, that's where I want to be. I, I want to be the ultimate. But if it's always money in the pursuit of money, I'll never get that. So, so what do we do? What do we do if we feel like we're kind of walking this tension of, of money having us or us having money, and, and, I, and I kind of sway between that tension? What, what do I do, Jesus, to make sure money isn't in the driver's seat of my life and I'm not being controlled by my money? Jesus, I got, this is perfect. I got the answer for you. 2,000 years ago, he gave us the answer. He says, here's what I want you to do. If you're sick of, being, of living a life at that, like, as if money's controlling you and, and your appetites are controlling you, because ultimately that's what it is. It's an appetite for more. And, and let's be honest, when you feed an appetite, is it ever satisfied? It just wants more. If you don't want to be controlled by that appetite, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to seek first something else. He, he said, seek first something else that isn't you, something else that isn't your appetite. You got to get this appetite, this thing that's controlling you, this master out of the driver's seat of your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek first my father's kingdom and his righteousness. And we see that word righteousness. What does that even mean? Like, like we kind of maybe have these images if you grew up in church of, of like righteousness is like holiness set apart where we don't talk with people who don't believe like us and we don't touch people who are sinful and we kind of step around messes. That's not righteousness. You want to know what righteousness was? Righteousness was Jesus. Righteousness was going to their messes. Righteousness was being with people who, who were broken. Righteousness was being with people who needed things. Righteousness was putting other people above yourself. As a matter of fact, that's, that's what his kingdom is. He, he invites us to put his kingdom for us. And what does his kingdom look like? There's this amazing story that, that it's, it's hard for me to to put it into words, to, to explain the emotion that's behind this, but I'm going to do my best. Jesus, he's, he's traveling down the road to Jerusalem with his disciples, and there's behind his disciples, if you would imagine, there's hundreds and thousands of people following, because wherever Jesus goes, there's always a crowd, and this is kind of at the tail end of his ministry. He just raised somebody from the dead, which is kind of outrageous, but like there is this massive following, and he's walking into Jerusalem, and, and they kind of get this idea, like, this is it. He's going to come in, and he's going to take over. He's going to kick Rome out. He's going to, we've talked about this, right? He's going to take off his rabbi robes and put on his king robes, and he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. This is amazing. And all of his disciples, they begin to get the idea, but if Jesus is going to be the king, if he's going to be number one, because he, he's always number one, right? Like, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? Jesus is number one. We know. Give me a J. He's number one. But who's number two? Who, who's number three? Can it be me? And in the midst of them walking this road into Jerusalem, they, the disciples, the guys who are there to do his work, they begin to have this argument, this fight with, with hundreds of people behind them following Jesus into the Jerusalem. And Jesus began to overhear this argument they're having. Who's going to be number two? Who's going to be the greatest after Jesus? He says, guys, I can't believe we have to do this. But he kind of calms the crowd down and says, hey, hey just go sit over for a few minutes. I've got to talk to my guys. Pulls his guys off the road, sits them under a tree. He says, guys, I know we've covered this before. Like, this isn't the first time, but let's do it one more time. <clears throat> do you want to be great? 
Matthew, do you want to be great? And, you know, Matthew, he's the former tax collector. He's thinking, yeah, like I've lived my whole life wanting to be great. Andrew, do you, do you want to be great? Andrew maybe sheepishly, yeah, I mean, if you're going to make people great, Jesus, I guess I want to be great. John, do you want to be great? Guys, do, do all of you want to be great? And all their, their heads are nodding. Yeah. Okay. The greatest in my kingdom is the servant of all. Yeah, you, you know how it happens in this, in this world, in the kingdoms of this world? Or like the guy at the top of the pyramid, he has all the power, he has all the control, he has all the resources, and he leverages his resources <clears throat> from other people for the sake of more resources, and he leverages his power for, for more power, and it's all at the sake of other people underneath him. They're thinking, yeah. You know how it works in the world? Yeah, Jesus, like, that's why we want to be number two. I want to be at the top of the pyramid. I want everybody else giving me the power and giving me the resources. That's why we're saying this. He said, yep. Not so with you. Not in my Father's kingdom. That's not the way this works. In my Father's kingdom, we flip the script. In my Father's kingdom, it's very different. In my Father's kingdom, the greatest among you is the servant of all. And then he continues his, his journey. He gets his guys back on the road. The people are following. I imagine at this point the disciples are a little confused. They're kind of pondering what he said. What does he really mean? They make it into Jerusalem, and they go to have their, their dinner together, right? The Last Supper. They're eating. They're talking. They're all kind of having fun, kicking back. And somebody kind of looks over their shoulder and says, hey, where's Jesus? Guys, anybody see Jesus? And they look over, and there he is in the corner of the room. And he's, sure enough, taking his rabbinic robes off. But instead of putting on his kingly robes, he wraps a towel around his waist. And now all the disciples, they're just, they're feeling so guilty. I imagine the commotion begins to start, guys, I can't believe we forgot we forgot to schedule somebody here to clean our feet. And now Jesus wants to do it. Our king wants to clean our feet. This is, like, this is ridiculous. How, how like, selfish could we have been? We're walking into town and people are screaming Hosanna and they're laying branches down. And we're feeling like we're it because we're so connected to the king. And here he is. Our king's about to wash our feet. Absolutely not. Jesus wraps the towel around his waist and he walks to the table with a basin in his hand. And I imagine commotion begins to serve. People begin to stand up, and he says, no, guys, I'm here to wash your feet. Peter, Peter, I'm washing your feet. Sit down. And here's where it's hard to explain the emotion. They revered him like a king. And now their king is getting on his knees and washing their filthy, dirty feet. I mean, it stank. The atmosphere in the room was awkward. It was silent. No one's speaking. Everyone's uncomfortable. I imagine emotions are beginning to stir, like, Jesus, why? It takes a long time because there's 12 guys. He washes all their feet. He stands up, and as he's taking his towel off, he says, you guys call me Lord, our word again. You call me Lord and Master, and, and, and rightfully so, because that's what I am. But as I have done this for you, I need you to do this for everyone else. Guys, if you want to be my followers, if you want to come into my kingdom, it's got, it's got to be other people first. God's kingdom, my kingdom, this new kingdom that I'm establishing, it's an others first kingdom. Can you deal with that? Can you roll with that? Can you give of yourself for that? And then he'd go in to say, he, he talks about himself, he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life for a ransom for many. Are you ready for this new kingdom? They did. They were. And the very next day, they watched their master, their king, their lord, give his life 
as a ransom for many. To serve those who couldn't serve themselves. And Jesus started something that changed the world then and is still changing the world today. And he's inviting you into it. Would you come? Would you be a part of this? Would you seek first my Father's kingdom, this other's first kingdom? It changed the world once, and guys, it'll change the world again. And, and we see this, and we think, yeah, that, that's great, but <laughs> Jesus, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got bills to pay. I'm saving for my kids' college tuition. Like, this is great, but this doesn't put food on my table. You say, I, I know. I know all of your concerns. Seek first my Father's kingdom and his righteousness. Guys, and I love you so much. All these other things, all these other things that you're fretting about, all these things that you're worried about, I'll give them to you as well. Guys, this isn't an either or. This is a one and a two. If you prioritize my Father's kingdom first, if you prioritize others first, if you're willing to give of yourself, of your wealth, of your possessions first, all the other things, the mortgage, the car payment, the house payment, the rent, the groceries, they'll be given to you as well. You see, Jesus knew something that we kind of figure out through our life. If you're 25, you bumped into this a few times. If you're 35, you're probably figuring this out. And if you're 55, you wish somebody told you when you were like 21. And that's simply this. Jesus knows what we figure, we're figuring out. That when we put ourselves first, when we put ourselves first, we always come in last. We've seen the stories. We've lived it. We've seen the people we care about live it. And Jesus is saying, not so with you. If you're my follower, not so with you. And that's the hard part. That if you're a Jesus follower and you haven't given Jesus kind of control of your financial life, your financial aspect, then he doesn't have control. If you've invited Jesus into this, this portion of your life, but not all of your life, he, he's not in your life. And what's really interesting to me is, is that it's so easy to trust Jesus with other sides, isn't it? It's really easy to trust Jesus with, with our sin. I mean, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, right? Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> forgive me for my sins. I can't believe I did this. Don't let him find out. Don't let her find out. Please let him not be up when I'm home. Maybe you've never prayed before in your life, and you don't even believe there's a personal God, but you, you know, you're, in your, you're on your, in your car on your way home, and you're thinking, to whom it may concern, whoever's up there, whoever's listening, don't let there be blue lights in my rearview mirror. Don't let them find out what I just did. It's really easy for us to trust Jesus with our sin. It's easy for us to trust Jesus with our sorrows. I mean, think about that. <clears throat> God, I, I, I don't know what to do. I feel, I'm feeling so lonely, like I'm at the end of my rope. God, I, you heard what the doctor said. I, mean, I don't have to tell you what they said. Don't let him die. Don't let my daughter die. Don't, lo don't let this happen. It's so easy to take our sorrows and to bring them to God and to leave them with God. It, it, it's easy for us to trust our eternity to God. Many of you, like me, at one point in our lives, we, we said a prayer, giving our eternity to God. It, the prayer went something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day because... I, you know, we start every prayer that way, and that sounds really important, like I need to start that way, but, but let's get down to business. I, I heard that, that I can go to heaven if I say this prayer. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and, and thank you for welcoming me into, my, into your family. We're good now, right? It's so easy to trust God with our eternity. It's easy to trust Him with our sorrows. It's easy to trust Him with our sin. 
Why do we struggle so much when it comes to our finances? Because Jesus knew the chief competitor for your finances or for your heart. It isn't you. It isn't the devil. It's your finances. It's your wealth. It's your pursuit of wealth. It's your possessions. But that's not what you were created for. You were created to seek first your creator. You were created to seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness. But we don't live that way. In the natural world, this is how we tend to live. And you've seen this before, right? We just spend what we want. We live on whatever we make. We live. And if there's any left over, maybe we'll save for our future kingdom. And if there's anything left at the end of that, we'll give some of it away. Maybe, if we're feeling generous that week. We live on all of it. Save a little bit if there's any left. And if there's anything left at the end of that, we'll give some away. See, this is called the me first living with some leftover giving. To be honest with you, this is completely average. This is the way of the world. Let me ask all of you just an honest question. Do you want to be average? Have at it. That's the way of the world. I mean, really, if you're going to live life as if you're the end, you're the ultimate means of your life, if you're going to live life as if all there is to life is life, then have at it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And you can't take it with you. But you know what you leave? Some very unpleasant memories for your kids and your grandkids because they were never a concern. Because it was always me and maybe my kingdom after that and my future. And if there's anything, maybe I'll think about someone else. Jesus would say, if you're a Jesus follower, not so with you. And then he would say, it's time to flip the script. In in the seek ye first kingdom, in the others first kingdom, we live this way. We give first. We decide at the very get-go to take a portion, a percentage of our income, and give it away. And then we decide to save for our future kingdom, that someday we're concerned about our kids and our legacy, what comes later. And then we learn to live on the rest. We hit this last week, right, that we all live on a percentage of our income. Some of us live on 100% of our income. We're at the top every week. We've budgeted every dollar, and it's all going to our life. Some of us, we live a little above that. We're living on credit. We're living on loans. We're going into the red every week. We all live on a percentage. Jesus would say, I want you to pick a percentage from the get-go that you're going to give away to somebody else, to be, to be a part of the other's first kingdom. Then I want you to save some and then learn to live on the rest, which we all can. You see, th- this seek ye first living is telling your money where to go. And telling your money to, where to go is proof your money ain't running the show. See, the amazing thing about money is it'll go where you tell it to go. It'll do what you tell it to do. You say, hey, hey money, I, I want you to go over there and I want you to help that person. Yeah, but Jim, what about your mortgage? Let me be concerned about the mortgage. You go over there. Hey, money, I, I want you to go help this family that, that, that's in need. They don't have groceries. I want you to help them. Yeah, but, but you have a car payment coming up. Let me worry about that. You go, but, but, but Jim, money, you're not in control. I am. Go. You see, if this is really a test, and I think Jesus is saying it is, that the litmus test for our devotion to God is our willingness to put him or others first in the arena of money and possessions. That the litmus test, that the test of whether or not you're a true follower, if you're really a Jesus follower, he said the way you'd know is if you're willing to put him and others before yourself 
when it comes to your money and your possessions. And that's hard. And for some of you, you're sitting here and you are just completely uncomfortable with that thought. So here's what I want to do in closing. I'm going to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you for the next two months. For the next two months, and, and, and when, when I say this, this isn't like the next two weeks or the two, next two paychecks. This is for the next two months. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. And there's two parts to so don't hear part one and then get up and go, go get your kids or turn me off if you're watching online. I want you to stay for the whole part of this, right? There's two parts to this challenge. Part one is this. I want you to choose a percentage over the next two months of your income, and I want you to give it away as soon as you get paid. Choose a percentage. And don't make it like a half a percent because you don't feel that. That's like pocket change. That stuff you find in your couch. That stuff maybe your kids have lying around the house. I want you to pick a percentage you're going to feel. A percentage that's going to be like, ah, oh, do I really want to do this? I want you to pick a percentage, and then I want you to give it away. And if you say, well, who do I give it to, Jim? Do I give it to you? No. Give it to anything that captures your heart. Give it to the thing that you think about, like, man, if I could be involved in something and end this in the world, I want to end that in the world. Give it to an organization that's doing what you dream about doing. Give it to a nonprofit that's, that's meeting a need in your community that you wish you could meet. Put your money where you want your heart to be. The amazing thing is, your heart will go and your money will follow. Give it away. And, and if this, this bothers you, I think that's a little good. And this is part two. I want you to pay attention. As you're giving this away for the next ones, I want you to pay attention to the internal tension this creates in you because it will create an internal tension. You're going to feel like, I know I committed this in the service, but you know, there was, he was persuasive and there was some pressure and you know, I, just, I, I, just, I decided to do it, but maybe I shouldn't do it now. I want you to listen to the internal, internal tension and I want you to listen to the conversations that it creates in your mind. I want you to listen to the conversations that you're already prepping for in your mind about having this conversation with your fiance or your spouse, or, or maybe the conversation you're having right now with me in your mind, that argument we're already having in your head. Because my guess is for some of you, you're already arguing with me. I want you to listen to that. And then I want you to give it away anyway. I want you to ask yourself, why? Why do I feel that way? Why am I so conflicted? Why, why do, do I feel one way in this moment and then in the next moment I, I feel like, like it's too much that I can't do it? I want you to ask yourself why. And maybe, maybe for the first time in your life, you'd be willing to open all of yourself up to God and not just the portion that was so easy for you to, at the get-go. Because ultimately, this really isn't about your money. This is about you. Your money would say to you, I'm a better servant than I am a master. I'll go where you're willing to send me. But you need to be in control. You need to be in control. And guys, if, if you're a Jesus follower, like, you got to stop kidding yourselves. If Jesus has had control of part of your life, but not your finances, here's the news that you don't want to hear. He's not in control. You're just a user. And today, Jesus is asking you to break that. He's saying, I want all of you. And if you'd be willing to let me in, I can lead you to a life of meaning, joy, of peace, the life you've always wanted. But it starts with me. He says, no one, no one can serve two masters. You can try, and you'll learn the hard way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and money. So here's the challenge. For the next two months, can we get this right? For the next two months, can you try this? 
I issue this challenge all the time about flipping the script. And every time I do, I always hear feedback of somebody who says, you know, I heard this before, but I, I, I didn't want to do it, and I did it this time, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for, for helping me make that change. I've never had anybody come back who said, I tried this, and it's terrible. If you'd be willing to take God at his word, to flip the script, two months, decide what percentage of your income you want to give away, and then give it away. Save the, uh, another percentage. And learn to live on the rest. And see if that doesn't begin to shift your, your perspective, shift your focus, shift the way you see the world. Then come back for part three of Money Talks. Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you for an opportunity to share what, what I feel is an incredibly honest, God, a, an incredibly challenging look at the words of Jesus. God, he had so much to say about money, and sometimes it's hard for us to put things in perspective and to, to figure out how we apply it to our life. But I pray, God, for every person here who's hearing this, whether we've, we've never taken this, a challenge like this before or we've been doing this our entire lives, that we would at this moment, God, step up to the plate, that we would have the wisdom to take the challenge and the courage, God, to make that first step, to decide on what percentage it is. And when it gets tough during the week to write that check or make that payment, God, that we're reminded once again of what you were willing to do for us, and that if we'd be willing to put others first, Lord, our entire lives could change. Give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.